Chapter 8 Mother Carrie's Chickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Couch. Mother Carrie's Chickens by Kate Douglas Wiggins. Chapter 8 The Night of Beulah Castle. Nancy's flushed face was glued to the window pane until Gilbert turned the corner. He looked back, took off his cap, threw a kiss to them, and was out of sight. "'Oh, how I wish I could have gone!' cried Nancy. "'I hope he won't forget what he went for. I hope he won't take no for an answer. Oh, why wasn't I a boy?' Mrs. Carey laughed as she turned from the window. "'It will be a great adventure for the man of the house, Nancy. So never mind. What would the Pathfinder have done if she had gone instead of her brother?' I oh, a millions of things, said Nancy, pacing the sitting-room floor, her head bent a little, her hands behind her back. I should be going to the new railroad station in Boston now, and presently I should be at a little grated window asking for a return ticket to Greentown Station. For ten, the man would say, and I would fling my whole eight dollars in front of the wicket to show him what manner of person I was. Then I would pick up that not from naught is not, one from ten is nine, Five from eight is three, three dollars and ninety cents or thereabouts, and turn away. Poller car, miss, the young man would say. Warm, worried young man in a seersucker coat, and I would answer, no, thank you. I would always go to the common car to study human nature. That is what the admiral says, but of course the ticket man couldn't know that the admiral is an intimate friend of mine and would think that I said it myself. Then I would go down to the platform and take the common car for Greentown. Soon we would be off, and I would ask the conductor if Greentown was a station where one could change and drive to Beulah. Darling little Beulah, shiny river Beulah, not breathing a word about the yellow house for fear he would jump off the train and rent it first. Then he would say he had never heard of Beulah. I would look pityingly at him, but make no reply, because it would be of no use. And anyway, I know Greentown is the changing place, because I've asked three men before, but Cousin Anne always likes to make conductors acknowledge they don't know as much as she does. Then I would present a few peanuts or peppermints to a small boy and hold an infant for a tired mother, because this is what good children do in the Sunday school books. But I do not mingle much with the passengers, because my brow is furrowed with thought and I am traveling on important business. You can well imagine that by this time Mother Carey has taken out her darning and Kathleen her oversewing to which she pays little attention because she so adores Nancy's tales. Peter has sat like a small statue ever since his quick ear caught the sound of a story. His eyes follow Nancy as she walks up and down improvising, and the only interruption she ever receives from her audience is Kathleen's or Mother Carey's occasional laugh at some especially ridiculous sentence. "'The hours fly by like minutes,' continues Nancy, stooping by the side window and twirling the curtain tassel absently. I scan the surrounding country to see if anything compares with Beulah, and nothing does. No such river, no such trees, no such well, no such oaken bucket, and above all, no such yellow house. All the other houses I see are but as huts compared to the yellow house of Beulah. Soon the car door opens. A brakeman looks in and calls in a rich baritone voice, Greentown, Greentown, do not leave any parcels in the car. 
and if you know beforehand what he's going to say, you can understand him quite nicely. So I take my bag and go down the aisle with dignity. Step lively, miss, cries the brakeman, but I do not heed him. It is not likely that a person renting country houses will move save with majesty. Alighting, I inquire if there's any conveyance for Beulah, and there is a wagon and a white horse. I ask the driver boldly to drive me to the colonel's office. He does not ask which colonel, or what colonel. He simply says, Colonel Foster, I suppose, and I say, certainly. We arrive at the office, and when I introduce myself as Captain Carey's daughter, I receive a glad welcome. The colonel rings the bell, and an aged beldame approaches, making a deep curtsy and offering me a beaker of milk, a crusty loaf, a few venison pasties, and a cold goose stuffed with hummingbirds. When I have reduced these to nothingness, I ask if the yellow house on the outskirts of the village is still vacant, and the colonel replies that it is, at which uninspected but hoped-for answer, I fall into a deep swoon. When I wink, the aged colonel is bending over me, his long white goat's beard tickling my chin. Mother Carrie stops her darning now, and Kathleen makes no pretense of sewing. The story is fast approaching its climax. Everybody feels that, including Peter, who hopes he will be in it in some guise or other before it ends. Art thou merry, lady? the aged one asks courteously, and if not, wilt thou be mine? I tremble, because he does not seem to notice that he is eighty or ninety, and I but fifteen. Yet I fear if I reject him too scornfully and speedily, the yellow house will never be mine. Grant me a little time in which to fit myself for this great honor, I say modestly, and a mighty good idea, too, that I got out of a book the other day. When suddenly I gaze upward, my suitor's white hair turns to brown, his beard drops off, his wrinkles disappear, and he stands before me, a young knight, in full armor. Wilt thou go to the yellow castle with me, sweet lady, he asks. Wilt I, I cry in ecstasy, and we leap on the back of a charger, hitched to the colonel's horse-block. We dash down the avenue of elms and maples that line the village street, and we are at our journey's end, before the knight has time to explain to me that he was changed into the guise of an old man by an evil sorcerer some years before, and could never return to his own person until someone appeared who wished to live in the yellow house, which is Beulah Castle. We approach the well-known spot, and the little picket gate, and the knight lifts me from the charger's back. Here are the house and lands, and all are yours, sweet lady, if you have a younger brother. There is treasure hidden in the ground behind the castle, and no one ever finds such things save younger brothers. I have a younger brother, I cry, and his name is Peter. At this point in Nancy's chronicle, Peter is nearly beside himself with excitement. He has been sitting on his hassock, his hands outspread upon his fat knees, his lips parted, his eyes shining. Somewhere, sometime in Nancy's stories, there is always a Peter. He lives for that moment. Nancy, stifling her laughter, goes on rapidly. And so the knight summons younger brother Peter to come, and he flies in a great airship from Charleston to Beulah. And when he arrives, the knight asks him to dig for the buried treasure. Peter here turns up his sleeves to his dimpled elbows and seizes an imaginary implement. Peter goes to the back of the castle, and there is a beautiful garden filled with corns and beans and peas and lettuce and potatoes and beets and onions and carrots and turnips and parsnips and tomatoes and cabbages. He takes his magic spade and it leads him to the cabbages. 
he digs and digs and in a moment the spade strikes metal he has found the gold cries the knight and peter speedily lifts from the ground pots and pots of ducats and florins and gilding and doubloons peter nods his head at the mention of each precious coin and then claps his hands and hugs himself with joy and rocks himself to and fro on the hassock in his ecstasy at being the little god in the machine then down the village street there is the sound of hurrying horses feet and in a twinkling a gaily painted chariot comes into view and in it are sitting the queen mother and the crown prince and princess of the house of Kerry. they alight peter meets them at the gate a pot of gold in each hand they enter the castle and put their umbrellas in one corner of the front hall and their rubbers in the other behind the door lady nancyville trips up the steps after them and turning says graciously to her knight would you just as soon marry somebody else i am very much attached to my family and they will need me dreadfully when they are getting settled i did not recall the fact that i'd ask you to be mine courteously answered the youth you did she responds very much embarrassed as she supposed of course he'd remember his offer made when he was an old man with a goat's beard but gladly i will forget all if you will relinquish my hand as you please answers the knight generously i can deny you nothing when i remember that you've brought me back my youth prithee is the other lady bespoke she of the golden hair many have asked but i have chosen none answers the crown princess kitty modestly as is her wont then you will do nicely says the knight since all i wish is to be the son-in-law to the queen mother right you are my hearty cries prince gilbert de Carey, and as we much do need a hand at silver polishing i will gladly give my sister a marriage so they all went into beulah castle and locked the door behind them and there they lived in great happiness and comfort all the days of their lives and there they died when it came their time and they were all buried by the shores of the shining river of beulah oh that is perfectly splendid cried kitty about the best one you've ever told but do change the end of it nancy dear it's dreadful for him to marry kitty when he told nancy bill first i like him awfully but i don't want to take him that way well how would this do and nancy pondered a moment before going on right you are my hearty cries prince gilbert de Carey. and as we do need a hand at the shoulder policy i will gladly give my sister in marriage hold cries the queen mother all is not as it should be in this coil how can you tell she says turning to the knightly stranger that memory will not awaken one day and you recall the adoration you felt when you first beheld the lady nancyville in a deep swoon the young knight's eyes took a faraway look and he put his hand to his forehead it comes back to me now he sighed i did love lady nancy bell passionately and i cannot think how it slipped from my mind i release you willingly exclaimed the crown princess kitty haughtily for a million suitors wink my nod and thou wert never really mine but the other lady rejects me also responded the luckless youth the tears flowing from his eagle eyes on to his crimson mantle wilt delay the nuptials until i am eighteen and the castle is set to order asked the lady nancy bill relentingly since it must be i do pledge thee my vow to wait says the knight and i do beg the fair one with the golden locks to consider the claims of my brother not my equal perhaps but still a gallant youth i will enter him on my waiting list as number three hundred and seventeen responds the crown princess kitty than whom no violet could be more shy tis all he can expect and more than i should promise so they all lived in the yellow castle in great happiness for ever after and were buried by the shores of the shining river of beulah 
Does that suit you better? Simply lovely, cried Kitty. And the bit about my modesty is too funny for words. Oh, if some of it would only happen. But I'm afraid Gilbert will not stir up any fairy tales and set them going. Some of it will happen, exclaimed Peter. I shall take every single day till I find the gold pots. You are a gold pot yourself, filled full and running over. Now, Nancy, run and write down your fairy tale while I remember it, said Mother Carey. It is as good as exercise as any other, and you still tell a story far better than you write it. Nancy did this sort of improvising every now and then, and had done it from earliest childhood, and sometimes, of late, Mother Carey looked at her oldest chicken, and wondered, after all, she had hatched in her a bird of brighter plumage, or rarer song than the rest, or a young eagle whose strong wings would bear her to higher flight. End of chapter 8